people who love them. Hello, this is The Thing About Cars. I am Mickey Desai. We are recording here in Atlanta, Georgia. Beautiful day outside. We are at Strong Box West as usual. And today at the table we have... I am still Rob. <laughs> Becca. Eric. Frank. Ben. And uh, we're going to just jump right into it as usual again today. We've got a, a, an even longer list of topics now for this particular episode. Uh, Frank brought up something that I think is really worth talking about, and we, we wrote it up on the board. It says car loans. Frank. I'm, I'm worried that people do not understand. Uh, they go to a car dealership, and they, they're thinking about buying a car, and all they really understand is the monthly payment. And today, car loans can be strung out 84 months or longer. And, and the average person has never been schooled to understand that when they purchase something like that with a car loan that goes out that far, that within weeks or months, they are upside down in the vehicle, meaning that upside down, meaning that they owe more on the car than the car is worth. And this will continue to plague them for years to come. Usually, people, after two, three years, they're thinking about getting another car, and now they owe a lot more on that car than what it's actually worth. Plus, I've been shocked how many people will roll that negative equity into the next, next car, car, and they don't understand that it's just creating a snowball. Just It's like a student loan. It stays car, with you forever. <laughs> car people, uh, dealer, people fail to understand that a car dealership is essentially just a bank and their finance people are, are there to make money off of exactly those loans. And their selling point is, hey, but this car only cost you $300 a month, even though it's $300 a month for five years, which is too much money. Exactly. Or six exactly. or seven. And I don't remember the exact technical how they do it, but they start out asking, what kind of monthly payment were you looking for? Because they can get more money out of you that way. Yep. Uh, it's apparently easier to squeak it in that way than saying, here's the total cost of the vehicle. I actually call it a predatory loaning practice. I don't mm -hmm. think it's fair at all because you're living in a culture of people that don't consider you know, the actual base principle on a car. They, they only see that $300 a month price tag, and they don't see the actual final price tag that that, that $40,000 car you just bought, you just spent $52,000 on because you wanted a $300 a month note. They're seeing the trees instead of the forest for the, for the old adage. Um, no, he was saying how I've always bought cars, I try to get a lower payment, and I always pay extra. Any way that I can squeeze that in. When I originally had the Mustang, I'm always talking about, I paid that car off in three years, even though that, at the time, was the most I'd ever spent on a car. Oh, my God, it was so expensive 20 years ago. Yeah. Um, I still was able to spend or to send an, a, a large enough extra amount that I paid it off two years early, even though it was financed for five years. So, yeah, exactly. And and my point to the whole thing is really how do we raise awareness to people, young, old, in between? Uh, they all do it, and they all end up with car loans that take them out for years and years. Well, that would be home ec. They don't teach that in high school. They don't teach basic home ec in high school anymore. That should be part of it. They should bring back your, your daily living education. I think it's a little more general than that. I'd like to see pure financial literacy as part of that. Which is all anathema to our consumer culture, which teaches us, give me convenience or give me death. Yeah, that's true. I think, I think we do live in way too much of a culture of convenience. That's true. Definitely. Well, these, these car loans sort of seem to me like the car dealerships have figured out how to do a lease without any risk to the dealership. 
because it's it ends up being the exact same problem uh, in terms of you've got more value left, but instead of the dealership or the car factory being responsible for it and thinking about how they're going to resell the car later, they can get the customer and the consumer into the same price per month and stick them at the end with it at the end of three years if they want to get out of the car. Exactly. Frank, are you a finance guy? I am not. I'm just an old guy. You're just an old guy. <laughs> I just pay cash. <laughs> and now I'm going to places and they don't even accept cash. That's true. Oh, I'm trying to switch to mostly cash these days, and it's, it's kind of shocking there are places that won't accept cash. That's anymore. right. But, that uh, boggles yeah. my brain. Is there a law against that? Doing only the cash? Doesn't say on the money, but so, legal no. tender? <laughs> well, years ago when I was younger, you know, the longest you could get a car loan was 36 months. Mm-hmm. And and because of that, people weren't upside down in their loans and stuff, and they did pay them off in a reasonable amount of time. Right. Um, Cars also cost a smaller percentage of most people's income, too. Cars itself didn't last as long. I have a friend who has a house. Her, her note on her house is in the $600 range, and she's got impeccable credit and uh, has refinanced the house, and she's doing everything right financially. She bought a truck. She bought a Ford F-150. The note on that truck is almost as large as the note for her house. Oh, yeah. I can see that. Yeah. And then that's a different story, but, I mean, recently I went in to look for a new pickup truck myself, and I was amazed to see some pickup trucks in the eighty to $100,000 range. Exactly. And that was not the Raptor Baja edition. <laughs> no, exactly not. Which I like the looks of, but... <laughs> Frank, in, in, in addition to being an old guy, what else do you do? I love restoring old cars. See, now, I, I like that segue because I've been kind of dying to ask. You've, you've mentioned vintage cars and restoration and that you have a number. What, what do you have? I like my cars like I like my women. If they're not at least 40 years old, I don't bother looking at them. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, I, I like a lot of different cars. My favorite is Lotus mm-hmm. from England. And we can have a lot of English car jokes and stuff and talk about English car electronics. We already give Ben a little bit of a hard time. And Ben's best friend over here. Ben Ben has a lot. It's my buddy Ben here. That's right. He's actually loaned me a part to reproduce. Mm, Very cool. So, and I like to reproduce some parts. So So you do you do fabrication then too? I do. Yes. So if you have a a Lotus from the '60s and you're looking to restore the interior, you know I make a. New seat covers, new door panels. I vacuum form center consoles and things like yeah, that. Yeah, Ben wow. said he lent you. His, he told me earlier that he lent you the center console. That's right. He hasn't seen it back again. But see, now you can make it with a place to hold your phone. Help me understand here. It's like it, it, we're talking about a, a, a series of cars that is clearly not being made anymore. The number of them. Well, Lotus are being made. No, I mean the, the models you're talking oh, about. Oh, you're right. Those are fifty years old. Fifty years old. Those models are not being made anymore. How do you justify going through the expense of manufacturing parts for a car that's no longer in production? I don't, number one, I don't tell my wife. (laughs) 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 Number two, I guess, uh, there are, and you've got to pick the right car, the right vehicle, but there's people all over the world that uh, they love old cars, they'd like to drive a beautiful old car, and when you can't get certain parts, it just drives them crazy, and that's that's when the values of those cars go down because they just bring a car to some shop and they slap something together, but it's not the way it left the factory. Um, and it's we're running into a, a new set of problems with vintage cars. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a friend of mine that is uh, owns a, a Lotus parts supply company in California. I've been buying parts from them since the early 70s, and the owner of the business recently passed away. 
and there's nobody, there's no young people, there's nobody in line looking or has the money to, to be able to buy the business up. Right sure. now his wife is still running the business and a few other people, but um, I have an engine builder that I use in Illinois. Uh, my friend, I'll just, his name is Barry. Uh, Barry knows more about uh, exotic engines than anybody I've ever met in my life. Mm -hmm. And uh, But Barry is now 81 years old. Mm -hmm. I've been at his machine shop. I've been there to, I've been there where I, I helped him for months in the machine shop. And we're getting a, we don't have anybody to replace these people. Hmm. Uh, even brand names that you hear of, Edelbrock, uh, you know, the senior Edelbrock uh, person recently passed away. Mm -hmm. And um, today it's just a different world. You got the people, everything's electronic. So you talk about iPods and radios and, Crutchfield and all these different types of things, but on old cars, it's a different set of parameters. But I mean, new cars are still being made that people do like to tweak and modify. So my question is, is how do those how do those other manufacturers how does the how do the Edelbrocks and the and the older car folks invite the younger crowd in to see to at least see what they're doing, right? Because I think they're doing remarkable things. They are. And it's still car modification. You know, car restoration is, is a perfect gateway to car modification and vice versa. Yes. So. And I, I think we've touched a little bit on that in bits and pieces in previous episodes, that the, the millennial generation, the younger people, are just not as interested in cars. Uh, just even having a license or car ownership, let alone modifications, restorations, vintage, anything like that. Fewer of them can afford it, too. Yeah. Right. Well, the flip side to that is those that are tend to be much more focused and will spend more money. I think that overall the car modification scene has the same volume, if anything, more so, that there may be fewer people involved. It's just a, a shift in the spending habits. Uh, now, we're talking about actual modification, not just putting stickers on Hondas. Right. <laughs> but, uh, the, the the sharing dissemination of heart of uh, knowledge is so much easier. People can figure out how to do an engine swap, figure out how to do a turbo installation, and it's much to easier do... to share that information right. nowadays. Yeah, I mean everybody's posting a YouTube video on how they accomplish something by right, and it, it falls into different categories because you've got modifications where you can enhance the performance of a car versus a restoration. Mm -hmm. And in the area of restoration, uh, we're losing a lot of people in the country that do certain things. I try to find the chrome plater today. The EPA has shut down probably 90% of the chrome platers in the world. I, I can evidence that into that as well. It goes along with the, with the modification. The whole idea is that those who are involved in whichever aspect of the automotive hobby are spending more money. Uh, there's been this trend for the past couple of decades where older cars, and it goes in cycles, what is the next one that is suddenly ballooning in value. You know, it was muscle cars for 20 years ago. You know, 60s muscle, car, muscle cars were going to six figures, seven figures even for the right one. Then all of a sudden, uh, vintage BMWs are going crazy. Vintage SUVs are just crazy. They're oh, comparable yeah. with, with vintage Mustangs right now as far as Jeeps and Land Cruisers are absolutely right. Broncos, I've complained mm. about trying to find one of those. Right. You know, there is no such thing as a cheap, older Porsche anymore. Even the most boring stuff is still five figures. You know, a, a 924 with high miles and just runs is still going to be eight, nine thousand dollars. And a 911 at another decimal place to that. So maybe Lotus hasn't hit that yet, 
that hopefully may be about to. And as soon as it happens, you have the focus. You have the people that are still around suddenly get a lot more exposure and are doing a lot more work. And then people who may have the skill set from something else transfer to that. And the people that can provide the chroming services or, or the, the leather stitching services or whatever restoration needs there are. And dwindling too, the interior, the stitching. Right. But the few that are out there suddenly become more accessible and are, are doing more work for more people. Mm -hmm. I don't see that this stuff is really going anywhere. I just see that instead of being a low level from a lot that a lot of people do stuff to a very high level that few people do stuff, that the overall volume is going to be there. You know, in the BMW world, we're seeing people spend a lot of money restoring cars that even five years ago would have just been crushed. No kidding. Cycle. Mm. Mm. Oh, yeah. I think they're crushing a lot more easily. But I would like to see a blending, not just strictly restoration or modification. Um, you know, just inter integration of modern things into the lines of an older vehicle as well. I mean, sometimes you do want something a little bit newer, even if it's mm -hmm. something as simple as soundproofing or more comfortable seats uh, up to integration of technology, but you still want the old car. Um, I would like to see something that blends it. It's not one or the other. That and that happens on a regular basis. Oh, yeah, it does. Yeah, restaurants. I'm doing well, that's different. Mm. Well, say, yes, this is an, yes, a, but as an example in the Lotus world, if you want to drive your Lotus on a regular basis, and you've heard all the things about English electronics, is you, first of all, you take off the generator, which they call a dynamo, yes. <laughs> and replace it with an alternator. Yes. It's amazing. That one simple modification will will make the car 90% more reliable. Um, What's in your garage? My garage has got a, a, a 66 Lotus Elan, a 69 Lotus Europa, a, a 67 Barracuda convertible, a 65 Lotus Elan factory lightweight, and then in storage in another place that uh, another garage my wife doesn't know about that garage there's there's three other lotuses in there oh, can I come live with you we <laughs> <laughs> live in your garage sure that's absolutely. fine Frank clearly has the sickness yeah. <laughs> it is a sickness thank uh, goodness yeah. second, something interesting uh, along what you said is very interesting um, so not necessarily rest of my but what Frank's saying also about updating these things so you've got modern conveniences and modern reliability but are still staying true to the car. Um, a friend of mine, uh, Nick, works for MotorWorks Racing. They've been doing a really cool conversion with Porsche 944s. And, and the 944s had that four-cylinder that was, what were they, 2.3 up to 2.5 liters. They're not very impressive by modern standards and they're still expensive to fix. They worked out this really neat swap where they're doing later model Audi A4 1.8 turbo direct drop-ins, bolts up to the Porsche transaxle, you open the hood, it looks right, and it's still the same parent company family stuff, and the cars are ferociously fast. They pull 400 horsepower, reliable, out of these things for that much effort. But the lack of love for Audi has much to do with how they're built. The darn things are built from the inside and inside out. But the 1.8 was so much better of an engine than the new 2-liter. Why is the old 1.8 better than the 2.0? You don't have to replace the turbos every couple of years. Your rings don't seize up in the pistons and burn all your oil. Do you mean the turbos? Yes. Turbos. <laughs> uh, I'm not a huge fan of turbos. Your engine is going to make this much horsepower. 
yeah. how quickly you extract it is going to be detrimental to the life of the engine. But the 1.8s, the two so, liter, they just yeah. they kept changing a little more, a little more, a little more, but it went the wrong way. Just I had a 1.8, and I, I mostly loved it. Yeah. I was in a GTI. Uh, no, Well, the only turbo issue I had was the turbocharger came loose from the intake manifold a few times. Didn't completely fall off, but the bolts worked themselves out. You're one of those picky people, huh? <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. I, I really hated doing the cam belt and water pump service. Oh, my God, what a nightmare, but it was fun to drive. So, 1.8 is smaller than a bottle of Coke. I'm just leaving that right there. <laughs> so what? I mean, my car has a 3-liter V6 in it, and some people's that's, you know, a lot, and it's still just one and a half giant bottles of soda, you know. Formula One car is smaller I mean, Do you want each piston to be a 2-liter-sized honker, like in a Dodge or something? Is like what I have, white? So uh, I was watching an episode of Wheeler Dealers with the new guy, Ant. I guess he's not new anymore. I guess he's a veteran at this point. But he said something. He was explaining the workings of a turbo to, to his audience. And at the end of that, he says, every engine should have one. And I'm like, that's an interesting statement to make. Uh, and, and I kind of sort of agree with it. But then I kind of like, okay, that's just adding a whole layer of maintenance to cars that most people don't understand. Not really. Is there so, a way to oversimplify? And you also need to teach people how to drive a turbo. Nobody knows. They can't that, drive no, one I'm with a gas about, No, I'm talking about how to park their <laughs> turbo and turn it off. People don't know how to do it. Your turbo can be spinning 150, 200,000 RPM when you just shut the engine off and kill the oil supply. Yeah. But you're right. You do have to let the, the cool oil get into the turbo. Yeah. Just let it slow down a little bit. I used to have that, that deliberate run-on feature, mm -hmm. yeah. and they took that out. Mm -hmm. that, that was a way to – that was one of the few things where an override from, like, a nanny electronics was actually useful. Yeah. And But nobody explains your turbo is going to kill itself if you don't treat it right. Um, sorry, now I've lost track. Ben has one. Ben, let's go back to Lotus's for a second. How's yours doing? Yeah, I, I clearly have the sickness too. I don't have a garage full, but I'm a serial owner. I'm on my second one. Anyway, how it's doing? You're on your second one? Yeah. Did, Did I miss a post? He had it in spree for a while. Oh, oh, I thought you meant you had added a new one recently. No, no, no. Okay, I'm sorry. I, I was well into the second one before he met me, so. Okay. Anyway, no, uh, some episodes ago, ago I, I kept repeatedly saying, well, I'm working on the front suspension. That part is finally done. The front suspension is back together. It's in. The dashboard is getting this close to coming back in. I'm starting on the rear end now, and I just pulled the glass out. The windscreen and rear window are out now. Windshield. Screens have balls. So there's a new, <laughs> so there's a new headliner going to be going in. That's got to be glued around. It. Let's <laughs> stop interrupting the man, shall we? Please don't so interrupt our interrupting. I, I've I've seen Ben's cop and I've seen his work, and Ben's just not right. It's <laughs> right. So well, some the meticulous things he's doing to some of it, I was just... I was picking on the British. I apologize. Well, somebody who owned, me, who owned it before I did wasn't right, because when I pulled the, uh, the the rubber seals out yesterday, I found a stupendous amount of silicone that someone had injected behind them. No kidding. Yeah, it was, it was about you know a quarter inch thick in some places. Huh. Probably three pounds of silicone I pulled out of the front seal alone. Oh, boy. Did you figure out what the suspension geometry that. issue you were having was? <laughs> no. You should. Not yet. So it's still riding high? Yeah, the front end is still about four inches too high. I'm not not going to think about it till I've got the car operable again. Then you maybe take it around the block and see if that helps settle it. But I mean, I've been bouncing my full weight on the front end a few times, and it's not settling. So I wonder what changed. But yeah, I was I was going to mention settlement. We 
I've learned the hard way about settlement with a car. It usually yeah. takes a little while. Cool. I think that's what we've got time for today, unless anyone else has something quick we want to touch on. I just want to say that we Land Rover owners appreciate you, Lotus Hunters, so that we do have somebody else to laugh at. <laughs> <laughs> okay, my, my one British car joke. Why don't the British make computers? They can't figure out how to give one an oil leak. <laughs> Thank you for joining us again. This is The Thing About Cars. We are recording here from, at Strongbox West. Please find us online. Our Facebook page is The Thing About Cars on Facebook. And we soon hope to have our website back up at thethingaboutcars.com. In the meantime, you guys be careful, be safe, and we'll see you next time. Ciao. Bye. Good night. Thank you for listening. This has been The Thing About Cars. We'll see you on the road.